This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. Clients of Collier's International may maintain positions in the properties discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the Urban Foundry Podcast, your go-to source for urban real estate news and conversations. I'm Andrew Urban. And I'm Paige O'Neill, and we will be your co-hosts as we explore the future of downtown real estate. This, this is, is Urban, Urban Foundry. Foundry. Welcome back to Urban Foundry, another weekly short. You have Andrew Urban and Paige O'Neill. Welcome back. All right, Paige. One of the, my favorite things came in the mail last week. Can you guess what it was? Some sort of reading material. It was. How yeah, did I know? Guessed. <laughs> I got a lot in the mail in between my shopping habit and everything else, but it was as the issue of Monocle every year. For those of you who don't know, Monocle is a artisan or boutique magazine. It was founded in 07 by a Financial Times columnist. Financial Times, for those of our listeners that aren't big into finance, the FT or Financial Times is the global equivalent of the Wall Street Journal. Okay. Very smart writing. If you're in Europe and you're at the newsstand, it typically has a pink letter. Okay. Pink paper that it's printed on. And it's basically London's equivalent of the Wall Street Journal. Right. Okay. So smart writing, um, very punchy, uh, very, very sophisticated and European. Easy to If read. you were a European investment banker, that would be in your briefcase as you took the metro to work. Got day. it. Right. Okay. So that's the crowd and that's the ethos. Monocle, or a monocle, a little more younger, hipper, down to earth, but it really talks about global affairs, architecture, design, lifestyle, as well as they do a lot on urban living. Mm-hmm. and real estate development throughout the world, not just Europe, not just the United States. So every year, I think for the last 10 or 15 years, they've put out a ranking of global cities. Is that top 20 or top? 25. 25. 25. Okay. And they rank them on different categories mm-hmm. and they go through what they're doing well, what they're not doing so well. And this year, what was really interesting is that no North American cities, and they called it out, that did not get selected for a number of reasons. And the not reasons, one. not one out of 25. Number one was Vienna, Austria. Okay. For context. But nothing in North America made it. And they specifically wrote why. Mm-hmm. And the reason they wrote why was housing affordability, homelessness, crime, things like that were so bad mm-hmm. that although they love cities like New York and Los Angeles and Chicago and Dallas and Miami, that based on those factors, they couldn't include them in good faith when all these other 25 cities are doing really well on those metrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was interesting because they gave the analogy of Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. I have not been to Rio de Janeiro in my travels. I've been a all over South America, but never to Rio thinking about it. I should go on my bucket list. And they said, we love Rio for a lot of reasons, but there's also, I've talked to people that have been to Rio. You can be in the nicest hotel and you can look down and you can see the cardboard shacks, Mm -hmm. right? So they have a major affordability issue, high cost of living, all these other things. There's a lot of great about the city, but there's also a lot of dark, gloomy ugliness Mm -hmm. as well too. And and so this is a a thing I look forward to because it's really interesting as an American to challenge your perspective because there's cities on there that have 200,000 people Mm -hmm. that are in the top five, right? Wow. And you can learn about all the great things that are going on in these other places and how they're tackling issues like affordability and things like that, not just from a U.S. perspective, from a global perspective, right? Good ideas come from anywhere. But they also put out this piece that I shared with you Mm -hmm. about what they think makes up a really good city. 
Fantasy City. Fantasy City, like we're in Sim City. That's what I when he gave me. I was like, oh, this is like Sims. Yeah, no, it, dating it is, myself, right? With that computer Sim City. game. I think yep. it's, you can get the app. I, you can still play if you want. <laughs> okay. So if in your downtime page, you can. Yeah, still so all my free time, away, I'm gonna right? build the perfect. You gotta city. be careful how quickly you raise taxes. <laughs> That's one thing I learned about Sim City. Scott actually really got back into Sim City during COVID before we had kids because it like made a resurgence. Yeah, my dad was into Sim City. Yeah. My dad was playing on his iPad. We used to play like for hours in grade school. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. I know. But they went over 25, I think, things. Yeah, 25 yep, different 25 things. things. And I thought it'd be fun for our listeners. 25 things of what would make their perfect city. Perfect city. And I thought this was pretty insightful because it forced you to think about different ways. And I thought it'd be fun, Paige, if mm-hmm. we both talked about what are our top three when it comes to building a perfect city mm-hmm. and what makes a city really special for you. Yeah. So I, I did six cause I didn't hear you say three. <laughs> Fine. We can do six <laughs> for you. We'll do three for me. Cause I'm not but that my creative. Seven, which is actually my number one wasn't on their list. Oh, all right. Where you so want to start? They talked about, they did talk about stardom young, which had a big focus on education, but yeah. what they failed to mention is stardom young, with a focus around daycare. Okay. I think having a perfect city would have a free or very affordable daycare for everyone. That's a good point. I feel like we talk about daycare a lot. We both have two kids. Yeah. I could go on and on about affordable daycare. It's basically like having a second mortgage for those of you who have (laughs) kids in daycare. You could have one really nice house or you could have a house and kids in daycare. So I think it's an issue that if you were building this perfect dream world, dream city, I think daycare needs to be, would be my number one. Yeah. It's funny. I circled education too. And I thought about some of the best cities in the world, what they had in common. And typically some of my favorite cities, if you really peel back the onion, have really good education systems. Mm Mm-hmm. Really, whether they're universities, whether they're high schools, whether they're grade schools, parochial schools, nursery schools, all the way down to affordable, enriching childcare. Mm-hmm. And I think about that and I went, you know what? That's a weird but interesting common thread. But in a way, it makes sense, right? If you have a great, thought out city, it tends to be driven by people that are also thoughtful, interesting, engaged individuals that have a good civic mind. And where else do you get that but good education? And we, I, I feel like with a lot of American cities, we haven't woken up to that fact. Where Because if you look at some of the major cities in this country, they have failing public schools. Mm-hmm. Failing. Failing, structurally failing. Indianapolis here, public schools, not great. Not great. Sorry. Sorry, IPS. Like You guys have, have almost gone insolvent multiple times, and it, I can go on and on about education, et cetera. But I think the biggest thing is, and I've always thought it was funny how you know, the suburbs pick that up, mm-hmm. right? Suburbs are offering these great schools while these city schools continue to erode away. There's a lot of reasons that we won't get into here, but the reality is it never seems like anyone makes it a mayoral priority in a major city to say, listen, I'm going to clean up these school districts and I'm going to get us producing a really great product because I know it's going to benefit us long-term mm-hmm. because if we have smart, educated c- citizens, odds are most people don't leave very far from where they grew up. Right. We've talked about that a lot on this podcast. This is nine times out of 10, you come back to where you're from. Yeah. 
and until 50 years ago, most people didn't, didn't leave. Did leave like a 10 mile radius. <laughs> yes. Right. Didn't like, leave. Yeah. <laughs> there wasn't a highway system. Right. right. If you traveled, you either were really wealthy or you were a vagabond. That was it. If you were an average person, <laughs> so your only option. you usually were born, lived and died within 10 miles of the spot you're conceived, you were brought into this world. Conceived. <laughs> I don't know about yeah. the conceived part. That could have been a trip. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, but, but brought into this yes. world. So that was the one I, I thought about too. The other thing that's really big for me is architecture. I knew that would have been on. I knew that was going to be on yours. I feel that cities that take, whether it's city planners or whether it's local real estate developers or it's just citizens that take passion and pride in architecture in their city tend to have nicer cities. Mm -hmm. And I always think about, you know, take an example like Chicago. That city has tremendous pride in their architecture. Yeah, there's a whole tour around it. Yeah, it's it's a big thing. People go, oh, I went on the architecture know, tour, tour, right? Yeah. New York City, obviously, and and some of that's ego driven. Some mm-hmm. of the, but that's okay. Mm-hmm. And then you think about the cities that's typically aren't as fun to go visit. And I'm not going to name any here, but a lot of them don't have really interesting architecture. Right. <laughs> the aesthetic built world has a huge impact on how we, um, you know, interact with it. Our civic pride. Um, all those kind of factors. And I think architecture, when cities build their own city hall, I think it's a huge opportunity for them to set the tone Mm -hmm. and that I wouldn't be too miffed if they spent a little bit more money Mm -hmm. to make something that's going to stand the test of time. And city of Indianapolis, the city's what city County building. Let's be real. It it was it was built in sixty two. It wasn't really. That <laughs> we know impressive. you're not from here, <laughs> but and no one's in this admi- that administration that built that and authorized that project still alive today. They're all long gone. So right. we can trash it. Let's be real. <laughs> we can knock it. We're gonna knock it, but it's not an impressive. It's it's fairly monolithic. It's the interior, etc. It's very functional, utilitarian. It hasn't aged very well. It just needs to be modernized. It needs to be scrapped yeah. and torn down and redone. I was trying to be nice. Yeah, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to call how I see Got it. Got it. It's an early 60s turd that has outlived its useful life, and it's time for it to be torn down and something much better. And it stands right next to arguably the nicest building, in my opinion, built in the last 10 years in Indiana, period, in the Cummins headquarters. Mm-hmm. Right? The mm-hmm. Cummins headquarters building is spectacular. They are true believers in architecture and that form and function can behave together to create a really unique environment. And those two buildings sit right next to each other and it drives me up the wall <laughs> because I go, just copy that, tear this down. Yeah. And it should be okay. So architecture was my second thing. What was your second thing? Somewhere to get out and splash. So some sort of water aspect. Okay. So I think about some of my, I li- I've lived a lot of places, but cities like Charlotte, Charleston, Seattle, Chicago. We'll throw Cleveland in there. They have these escapes. Austin has Lake Austin. These escapes that you can go relax on the water or somewhere because it allows you that moment to reset and breathe a little bit. Yeah. Indianapolis has that opportunity to some degree with the, we've talked about it with the white river. I think there's starting to be more focus around that, but that if I was building my perfect city, it doesn't have to be a beach. It could be a sound like Seattle is one of the most beautiful places mm-hmm. ever. Yeah. Didn't love living there, but it was sure. beautiful. Yeah. Even LA has the beach. LA has the like all, all of Oregon, right? all like anything on coast. We can talk about Florida. Yeah. So we're just, I think we're missing that. 
yeah. in the Midwest because we're obviously in the well, middle. But yeah, some of the places in the Midwest that are landlocked, it can be more difficult. But I think even if you don't have a major body of water, mm-hmm. outdoor public spaces that people can interact, congregate, and gather in yeah. a casual, enriching environment with good architecture, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Think about New York City. So is parks on your list? Parks are on my list. Yeah. But I think about New York City as an example, right? The waterfront there, let's be honest, no one's going to swim in the Hudson. <laughs> At least not right? by choice. <laughs> and there are some kind of beaches, right? There's Brighton Beach. There's, yeah. there's some in Brooklyn, et cetera. Are you really going to go there and sunbathe for the entire day? It's No, yeah. you're going to go to the Jersey Shore. You're going to go up Long Island and do a proper beach, right? But even Central Park, if you think about it, that's man-made. Yeah. There's green space, a ton of green space in some of the most prime real estate in the world mm-hmm. as a result, right? And that emphasis on it as a focal point, et cetera, I just think about that as being something that's really important. And then they've also, in their own way, right, and I think the Midwest can learn from this, they've created the High Line, all these other things that otherwise you know, wouldn't exist. It would just be city sprawl. They've created these public spaces by elevating them in different walkways and paths. Mm -hmm. I think a Midwest city can do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There's no constraint, right? Take an old rail line and convert it into a bike path, walking trail. The Monon's a good example of that, but how can we make it more inspiring throughout the entire? Make it part of your, almost your cityscape. Right. So that was one. One of my other ones was transportation. Public transportation is so critical to Mm -hmm. a good city. If there's a city, the cities that sometimes grind my gears are the ones you have to literally drive every single place. I hate it. I hate it. I like the idea of like in Zurich, as a for instance, so you're talking about how you've never been to Switzerland. Right. Been to Zurich several times. And there's these little trams. It's a city of only 400,000 people, but it has public, it has amazing public transit. You can just jump on a streetcar, go down a few blocks, mm-hmm. go to lunch somewhere, and it's not a big ordeal. So I'm probably going to get booed off this podcast yeah. because I am not a red line fan. You're not a red line. Okay, explain to me. I think it would work if more people used it. and it. But if you look at the red line, like if you drive up college, mm-hmm. there's not a ton of people who are riding it. And now there's like a dedicated lane, all this dedicated space to making the red line work, but there's not a ton of people using it. Yeah, that's true. But And if there were more options than just the red line. So we, right now we really, I mean, there's city buses, but we have this one main stream. Yeah. Transportation. Yeah. If there were more options, then I think it would be maybe a little bit more beneficial. Yeah. My one friend, bless her, she is such a red line advocate and she will take that bus anywhere and she'll get places. She'll get places an hour and a half later because she's so (laughs) adamant on taking the red line. And we're like, oh, you did it, girl. Yeah. But, you know, at the the end of the day, you got to start with one line. I know. You got to start somewhere. I know. You know, but I do. Sorry, red line lovers. Right. And, and, And Indianapolis is really making some strides to try. Right. It's very difficult. Here's the thing. After the fact, building the infrastructure, that's the problem. Building it after the fact is really difficult. If you built it a hundred years ago and you built the infrastructure, like a lot of cities did, it's a lot easier because people have built it into their, their routine. Mm -hmm. But if you build a city around vehicles and then try to go back and fix your work, right. 
very difficult to yeah. achieve success. It's very few places have been able to do it successfully. But I think the cities that really stand out in my mind are the ones that within that, that 15 minute city, public transportation is a huge part of expanding that ratio and giving you more experiences without the hassle of going to the car garage, getting your car out, this, finding a parking spot that you think about the stress that makes you not want to interact mm-hmm. as much mm-hmm. in reality. Right. right. I think too, and piggybacking off of your inner city transportation, also making it easy to get places through your connect air flight travel. Yeah. Like you have to have direct flights to and from these cities. So my brother lives in Salt Lake City. My parents live in Florida. It is a full day for them to get from one, from Salt Lake City to Florida or vice versa. Yeah. So having a ideal city with direct flights to most places. That's true. And and that goes on with transportation, Mm -hmm. right? Connectivity and connectivity to both the broader world as well as the region is really important, period. And it's worth the public investments into subsidizing those routes until they can stand on their own from a private enterprise standpoint. All right, Paige, what else did did stand out to you? (laughs) This is a silly one, but I liked the warm street lighting. (laughs) Okay, explain. There's different kinds of people, and I don't know, tell me what kind you are. Mm-hmm. When you're at home, do you have all the lights on or minimal lights on? What time of day? It doesn't matter. That C. I'm the type of person, during the day, we don't have any lights on in our house, so we live by the light from outside coming through the windows. Like the Amish. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Probably because I'm paying for daycare. Yeah. I can't afford my electricity. Yeah. But then at night, everything is dimmed or on a minimal light got it i'm not a bright light person so like even these lights right now i'd rather them be warm tone than bright tone yeah these are a little bit and i think if you were building the perfect city where you can have warm street lighting throughout your entire city it's more welcoming you feel a little bit more safe it's a little bit more ambiance yeah no i think there's some real truth to that in general, as far as how I am from a lighting standpoint, <laughs> thinking about this, I, I guess I'm a bit of a lights on person. <laughs> See, but I'm Paige, <laughs> everything I, I just installed in my house is on a dimmer so I can get the right tone depending uh-huh. on what I'm doing. But I don't have it like a surgical suite. I have blasting. a lot of windows in my house. It's, it's still light. I'm not a vampire <laughs> over here. Yeah, but I do see what you mean, right? Like the warm light or the right type of lighting. Mm-hmm. No different than an interior design, exterior landscaping design, etc. We've all been to the, the house that's really well lit at night mm-hmm. that just has this kind of beauty and elegance to it. Welcoming. That accentuates yes. certain architectural features. And it stands out on the street. Mm-hmm. Right, We've all driven through that neighborhood at night and goes, whose house is that? It mm-hmm. was just good lighting. Mm-hmm. During the day, you go back and look at it and go, it's not that much more special than the one right. next door. Right. But someone did the time to be strategic in how they lit things. Those things matter. Right. Versus the overhead kind of very typical street lamps in the U.S. that kind of hum, that kind of give off this like really eerie. And maybe that maybe it's on my list because I worked retail for 12 years. So I had to walk, yeah, walk out to lots. parking lots for 12 years of my life in those humming lights that I was yeah. like. They're like harsh. No one looks good. Right. right. Or the bright fitting room lights where everyone's complaining. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. And it's also an important thing for safety. And think about that a lot. The one, the one other thing that kind of goes along with your kind of you know, kind of something that most people would overlook. I love green rooftops. 
I thought the roof, yeah, the roof. I think that's so cool. Mm -hmm. Even to this day, I've seen them in a lot of major cities. You don't see a lot of them here. There are a few, Mm -hmm. but I just love when rooftops are done with like gardens and it's not just white plain roofs. Mm -hmm. I just think it's so neat when you can do something like that, create patios, more usable space to give appreciation for architecture, et cetera. Mm -hmm. I don't know. To me, I know they're expensive. I know they're liability hazards sometimes, but I think they can take a building from being cool to being this thing's awesome really quick. I don't know. What do you feel about rooftop? Yeah, I think rooftops are widely underutilized coming from New York. Any rooftop bar, you're like, oh, I got to go to it immediately because it's a cool view. It's a different it's a different point of view from walking in the city all the time. You can actually like breathe. There's some fresh air up there. Right. So it's, I think rooftops are widely underutilized. Yeah. And there's honestly like there's this, you look down 20 stories down and mm-hmm. there's all the, car, and there's a romantic right. to it. Right? right. It's a little fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. And on top of that kind of going off green spaces, I think really good public parks mm-hmm. in urban centers, taking it a step further, taking ownership of them, making them multifunctional and making them feel like their own world Mm -hmm. as a kind of a green oasis is really cool. Yeah. So I live in Carmel and Carmel's got some great parks. They've done an amazing job. And it's important. Like when you are a a parent of young kids and you're like, what am I going to do with them until nap time? Sorry, I love my kids, but those mornings, those hours are very long. You have to have that green space to go let them get their energy out and run around in. Yeah. And it's safe and it's well thought out, Mm -hmm. et cetera, right? It Mm -hmm. can't just be a bunch of grass with a bunch of old beer cans. It's got to be something a little bit more substantial. But I do think a lot of the cities that, you know, that that integrate it really well, that these green spaces pop up or make use of other natural elements, whether it's a river running through it, like you were saying, Mm -hmm. a place to splash integrating those things together, those are smart investments. And, and cities shouldn't be afraid to, to swing big right? as it relates to those things. Okay, Paige, what else? My last one what was, was last um, one? obviously I had to throw some sort of retail in there, but it okay. was not just, it's more retail around food. Okay. So having, so I'm thinking back for when we were in Italy and there was a giant food market in the middle of Florence. Mm-hmm. And our tour guide was like, this is where Italians come to buy everything. It's not a it's not a grocery store. It's like an experience where there's, it was massive. It was awesome. And I think we need more of that. So I think of the Carmel's Farmer's Market on Saturday, the Broad River Farmer Market, or the Fisher's Farmer's Market. But that's one day a week. Like, why can't we have more spaces that are embody that, but in an actual building in the dead of winter, we can still go get our favorite strawberries or local food. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's, there's a few of those in the U S around the, around the U S that have that, but you're right. It's something that, you know, because of the ways of shopping, mm-hmm. it's changed part of that to me, I, I think it's really important, right? Having that experience and having that kind of touch with local artisans or farmers or mm-hmm. butchers or bakers, et cetera, is really important. And it gives your city a unique way to show off its flavor. Difficulty is supporting those long-term. And a lot of it is because the way some these U.S. cities were designed with commute, 30, 40-minute commutes in mind. And so as a result, are you going to pick the supermarket right around the corner from your house? 
Or if you live, but if you live and work and walk in the same area, you can get away with doing that. And this is coming from me who I use a Kroger shopping app and I don't go to the grocery store. I have it delivered. So it's interesting that made my list when I do. What do you think about traditional non-food retail? Because let's be honest here, downtown Indianapolis, where would you go buy a gift for a good friend in a pinch downtown? There's a few small boutiques, right? Right. But it's, and they try to keep it relevant, but are there those shopping destinations like other major cities have, Right. whether it's New York or Chicago or even some other smaller cities had or had in relatively recent history. And so I think that's the one thing that U.S. cities have been really failing on is that retail because of office workers leaving, because of that foot traffic leaving. It's been tough to keep those high street retail Mm -hmm. or even off high street retail alive Mm -hmm. to keep the shopkeepers flush enough to pay rent. And I think there's elements, I think as we talk through this, a lot of this is having things conveniently located in in kind of an epicenter to be able to leverage on it, to Mm -hmm. be able to keep a cohesive environment. And I think connectivity and transportation is a big driver of it, right? Yeah. But what do you think with e-commerce as a result? That's a great rep. Like you said, I'm going to go on Amazon or whatever and go buy this. Do you think that's the competition or do you think if there was a better alternative? I think if there's a better alternative and with these smaller boutique places, if they are selective with their merchandise, mm-hmm. their offering, then it will go a long way. Like I'm thinking, so when I go to Florida, there's a store that I make a point to go to every single time right? because I just love the product that they have. It's different than anything that I find here. Yeah, It's probably more expensive because it's the middle of St. Armand circle and Sarasota. Yeah. But is there an experience with it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a restaurant on top of it. They they have more than one location now. Shout out to the shore. If you're listening all the way in Florida, (laughs) that's right. Discount code coming. (laughs) (laughs) But so I think, it depends if you're selective. If, if you're buying for a certain clientele, then it, it makes a difference rather than you can't be everything to everyone because then you have to have a 30,000 square foot store. Yeah, right. And it's never going to work. Yeah. That's the difficulty. And I hope we don't lose that in some cities, the local curated boutiques. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of people try to compete on levels of all things, but they fail to realize that they need to be really good at a few things to embrace that. For example, there's a macaroon store on Mass Ave. It shows you that you, you know you can have a niche, mm-hmm. right? Because I always walk by there and go, like, how many people buy macaroons? You but, say it but, every time. I do. <laughs> I know. Because I like macaroons, I but know. damn, I can't have, I'd be a 450 pounds and type 2 diabetic. Thank God I have sweet green to right. keep me from that. Right. But in general, you think about that, but at the same time, we all have those places that when we're in a certain city, we go, I have to go here because... Every time I walk in there, I feel like this is a magical experience where someone curated the store for me. That or you have a positive memory. Like it's something that my yeah. mom and I always do. We like right. take time out of our craziness of everyone being together to be like, okay, we're going to go sneak away for an hour and do this because it's something we always do together. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, it's funny. I, I've had that realization and I've, I've approached a lot of our business in the same way of not being afraid of a niche, not being afraid of over service, do it really well, do it so it's differentiated. Because in reality, let's just take, it's, it's a perfume that mm-hmm. you buy at this store. Who cares what the price is for a second? 
you could probably find that perfume online, but you wouldn't have bought it otherwise if it wasn't for the experience because you were there that day. It put you in a certain mood. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you said, you know what? I'm going to treat myself. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to do it today. And that's the thing I think a lot of people overlook for convenience. They go, oh, if we're convenient and we're accessible to everybody. Truth is there's some stores that they're niche and they're like, this store is for this type of people and we do it really well. There can be great success in it. Mm -hmm. So I hope there's still entrepreneurs listening out there that continue to do that. And there's examples of it in Indianapolis as well too. Mm -hmm. So to shout out to you guys, keep doing it really well. Keep opening your shops, keep doing it fun. So those are our perfect cities. That's it. We'll see if we last on SimCity page. Please don't raise taxes on our citizens too quickly. We have to do that gradually. Otherwise, we'll have a big meltdown and a mortgage crisis. Thank you for Urban Foundry. Let us know in the comments what you think would make a perfect city. And we'll make sure we'll link this article for everyone to read. Also, check out Monocle, spelled like what Mr. Peanut wears, the one little single eyeglass. Very cool publication. If you're into fashion, you're into design, you're into urbanism, you're into just opening and expanding how you look at the world and lifestyle. It's a great magazine done by some amazing writers. Thank you for listening, Urban Foundry. If you like what you heard, please hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And don't forget to like or follow us on LinkedIn and YouTube at Urban Foundry Podcast.